We know that the more gilts we bring onto a farm, the easier we get breeding target, the more pigs we wean. But we also know the more gilts we bring onto the farm, sometimes we can not wean as healthy of pigs as what we would like to. So that's the challenge. We need gilts. We have to have gilts. But how do we bring them in in a way that we can uh, keep the sow farm healthy and, and the pigs post weaning healthy? It's time for a new era of communication in the swine industry. One that you can get the latest updates while commuting or driving to farms. Here you will have the brightest minds of the global swine industry in your pocket. Swine It Podcast is only possible with the support of forward-looking and innovative companies like AB Vista, new nutritional perspectives and novel enzyme applications to drive pig production. NutriQuest, experts serving producers and delivering breakthrough solutions. Genesis, the first power in genetics. Gestal, always one step ahead in swine feeding. Adiseo provides programs and services to help producers achieve their targets in high quality, safe, and sustainable way. Every Pig, a simple yet powerful pig health and production management tool. Zinpro, essential trace minerals, exceptional performance. Ivonic, we are sciencing the global food challenge. Merck Animal Health, driven by prevention. Welcome to the Swine It Podcast Show. I am Laura Greiner, your host for today's episode. This episode's sponsored highlight is about Merck Animal Health. When it comes to the health of your herd and your bottom line, no guts means no glory. Lasonia and Salmonella are two bacteria that work together to destroy the microbiome of a pig's gut, which can slow average daily gain. Only vaccinating against one can leave profit on the table. Protect against both with Porcillus ileitis for Lasonia and Argus SCST for Salmonella. A productive herd starts with a healthy gut, and a healthy gut starts with enteric health solutions from Merck Animal Health. Learn more at buildahealthygut.com. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Laura Greiner, for today's SwineIt podcast, which is hosted by Merck Animal Health. Today with me, I have Dr. Keith Aljets, who is a veterinarian at the Veterinary Medical Center in Williamsburg, Iowa. Hi, Keith. How are you today? Good. Good, Laura. Nice to see you. Nice to see you. Well, Keith, if you wouldn't mind giving our audience a little bit more of a background about yourself, that would be a great start. Yeah, so I uh, graduated from veterinary school in 1990 and I made my way to Williamsburg and I've uh, spent my whole practice career here. I did spend uh, a couple of years going back to uh, going back and forth to, to the University of Illinois to get my uh, certificate uh, from them, which was, which was very enlightening and very good. But since that time, we've developed a management business where we manage about 40,000 sows here in Eastern Iowa and Illinois and Missouri. And with our group, we uh, also consult with a number of sows in those areas. So very fortunate to have uh, really good clients and a good place to practice. Wonderful. Yes, I uh, met you when my husband was very young in his career. And so I remember um, how that practice has slowly evolved over time, I think in particular around that swine consultation business. So, you know, one of the things, Keith, that I know you've been very passionate about has been sows and and of course that sow operation and one of the pieces that i think we continue to struggle with 
is guilt development. And so I'm hoping that maybe today we can talk a little bit about guilt development and maybe some things that you've learned along the way that you'd like to share with the group. So one of the the first things I really want to ask you and get your opinion on is what do you feel makes this the most important piece of our SOW operation? Why are we even really talking about this from your perspective? Well, you know, we know a lot, we know a few things about gilts. One is if you're going to wean uh, the right number of pigs for a farm, you have to, you get enough matings every week and your largest group of animals that you made are gilts. They're the single largest parity on every farm. Uh, but we also know that if we are large, are our strongest, if you will, uh, health strategy to improve health of pigs post weaning is to stop entering gilts onto a farm. Right, so we kind of go both ways on that. We know that the more gilts we bring onto a farm, the easier we get breeding target, the more pigs we wean, but we also know the more gilts we bring onto the farm, sometimes we can uh, not wean as healthy of pigs as what we would like to. So that's the challenge. We need gilts, we have to have gilts, uh, but how do we bring them in in a way that we can uh, keep the sow farm healthy and, and the pigs post weaning healthy? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you touch on a very good point. I think we particularly learned that lesson during PED when we were trying to eliminate it out of farms. It, it tended to sit in the gilt pool and those were the, the litters that we struggled with the most, but yet we needed to bring those gilts in. So I think that's a very good point. So when you think about gilt introduction, what's kind of a few key points that you think about? Well, uh, first off, we like to isolate the gilts so that we don't bring any more problems into the sow farm and destabilize the sow farm with the new virus, whether it be flu or whether it be PERS or some of the bacterial uh, pathogens that gilts can harbor. But mostly we're worried about the viral diseases with gilts. So starting them off with a uh, sound isolation time period is very critical because it seems like we've had more issues lately with uh, multiplier farms having health challenges and we certainly don't want to drag those in the in the multiplier farms don't, don't want us to drag those diseases into our own operations right so isolation is the most critical part and then it kind of comes down i look at it as uh the different diseases you may want to expose them to in your in your acclimation protocol so you isolate them for three to four weeks uh, and then you know if we're going to expose them to the purge virus at that time if that's our purge virus control strategy we would start that at that time. If we've, you know, if we're going to expose them to mycoplasma, that's another disease that we would try to expose them to as early in the life of the female of the gilt as we can to allow her as much time as possible to stabilize to those two diseases specifically before they enter the sow herd. You know, a lot of our gilt acclimation strategies are fairly complicated, right? The gilts come in, they're isolated. And, proceed with testing and then you you know if you're going to provide some exposure to disease you have to document that the disease you successfully expose them to that disease right and then treating them if they get sick from that and there's a lot to bringing gilts onto a farm anymore i think one of the arguments i continue to hear in the industry is what's the better option should we bring these gilts in as isoenes or is it better to have them raised outside of the sow farm 
preferably not in a typical finisher type environment, but somewhere away from the farm before we introduce them into the herd. Do you have a, a preference or a recommendation? You know, it's a little bit like the way we started this conversation where guilts are a necessary evil, just in, in certain regards. Uh, acclimation is somewhat of a necessary evil. So we bring guilts in and we expose them to the diseases that are on the farm and they can get sick. Uh, most acclimation barns that I visit are continuous flow. Okay, so animals tend to move from room to room. And in some regards, we want animals to do that because that's the way they can get acclimated to the disease on the farm, but that brings some challenges. I very seldom get to uh, an acclimation barn where the feeding strategy is perfect. Because we move animals from room to room, it's difficult to have enough bends and enough rooms to make sure those gilts get the proper ration every time. So we have a tendency to overfeed them. I would say that in most sow farms, when they get designed, and unfortunately it may be one or two that I helped design, we didn't leave enough space for gilts. Okay, we worried about gestation space. How many stalls do we have? How many pens do we have? How many farrowing crates do we have? We have all that figured out. And then when, then when it comes down to the amount of space we need for gilts and the amount of space we need for call sows, I think we have a tendency to maybe shorten or we don't provide them with enough space to really properly develop them and grow them out on a sow farm. And then all of a sudden we say, well, maybe we wanna bring a few more gilts in, right? So then we crowd the issue even more. So we crowd more animals down and maybe just don't provide the best environment. So I like to bring them in as wieners. I like to bring young animals in because I think that that gives them uh, just a good uh, uh, amount of time that they need to really become acclimated to the sow farm. But I do feel like the animals we buy as selects are probably raised in a better environment at, at certain times anyway, on a lot of farms really. So there's kind of ends of that, you know, I don't, you know, brings, it's really difficult. I haven't had a lot of success bringing selects into a purse positive sow farm and not destabilizing the farm or not having the pigs be the, as healthy as we like them to be. So we tend to like younger animals. Mm -hmm. The other part of that coin that I hear a lot too is particularly when we think about guilt development, we do a lot of vaccinations throughout that guilt development, whether it's for simple things, or I call simple, but PCV2 or myco to the reproductive um, diseases that we're concerned about. And then we might also be doing natural plant exposures to things like PERS virus and so forth. Um, and so there's always that question around when should we be doing all of these exposures, particularly as she becomes to that point of being um, receptive to heat detection. So right around the time of puberty. Do you have any recommendations to the listeners about how to manage some of those health protocols? Um, because I, one time I did a number and I think we had a herd that almost had like 11 different exposures from the time they came in as isoweens until the time they were heat checked as, as first heats. Sure. Uh, you know, probably the most success, the most stressful exposure is with the PERS virus. So we like to do that in, in a young, as young as an animal as we can that can handle the exposure time period and be, and be healthy through it. So 
that's typically an animal that is, uh, you know, if they're weaned at three weeks, you know, probably four weeks after they arrive to the farm. So we would do that. And then we start their vaccinations, you know, pretty much immediately after they arrive with uh, mycoplasma and circovirus uh, boosters. And most farms anymore have autogenous vaccines that they give. Those are given to protect the animal, but also to provide, to protect the animal when it's grow, growing, but also to provide uh, protection to those pigs when they're born from the gill. So those, those usually happen early and late. And then you're right, the uh, reproductive vaccines, along with maybe a flu vaccination, another early itis. I mean, there's just, you're right. I mean, we can get into eight, nine, 10 vaccinations on gilts throughout their lifespan. Yeah, but that's that's a, a good concept for people to think about is the timing. Certainly, we know PERS virus can stay in the body for long periods of time. So to me, that's it's a very good comment to make sure we're thinking about that in a logical process of let's get the worst virus or exposure done and and then move on to the ones that are a little bit easier for the animal to handle, if you will. Yeah, and I would say we've probably had as much trouble doing mycoplasma exposures as far as causing stress on the gill uh, when we do that. You know, you've uh, exposing them to that disease. It seems like we can be more successful than maybe what we want to be, and we can really make them sick. And we have to go in there and rescue them from time to time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's certainly a good point because a lot of times we're getting naive gilts from the nucleus or from a multiplier. And so what type of recommendation do you have if we are going to do a mycoplasma exposure? Well, my first recommendation would be to not try and run your sow farm for a long time, exposing them to mycoplasma every time they get them in. Maybe have a longer term strategy of uh, eliminating that disease would be my first recommendation to say, we're gonna do this, but you know, when we if we have a, PERS virus infection next winter, maybe we'll do a herd closure and eliminate PERS and mycoplasma. Try to time those things at the same time. So that would be a, that would be my best recommendation on mycoplasma exposure. Other than that, I don't really know how else we do it to limit uh, the amount of disease sometimes we create. You know, I think, you know, maybe we need to do a little bit more work there as to understanding how much how bad do we let that infection get before we have to rescue them? And every animal is a little bit different too, it seems like. Mm -hmm. I always thought it was interesting in the mycoplasma work, particularly in the grow finish barn, we could expose animals to mycoplasma and not see a significant response, but then you could walk into a, a naive guilt population and and you know what you're what you're dealing with when you walk oh, in. Sure. So it, it's incredible the difference. Mm -hmm. So, as we've kind of talked through maybe some of the challenges of, of getting that guilt started and, and exposing her to different pathogens to, of course, improve immunity, it starts to take me down the path of thinking about other challenges and pitfalls that we might have when managing incoming guilts. So, just right off the bat, are there any that stick out in your mind that you think we should be watching for? Oh, absolutely. So bringing gilts onto a farm is in most cases a perfectly timed process, meaning we have to breed, you know, 20 gilts or 40 gilts or 80 gilts every week. And that has to happen every week so that we can 
move that inventory along in the building so that we can get more replacement gilts. Because we, you know, at there's certain times of the year that uh, maybe gilts will become more sick than what we wanted them to. They get behind growing. So you end up crowding animals more. You get behind on a breeding, a group of gilts, breeding a group of gilts. So there's more inventory that hasn't gotten out of the way. So then you end up stressing those animals more uh, because you keep buying gilts, which is what you really need to do. So that can be one challenge on a farm. Uh, just making sure the process is always flowing, making sure barn staff always know, you know, I can, I'm going to start breeding these gilts on October 25th and I, and I start breeding my next group on October 29th. So I got to get in there with good bore exposure, get them heat dated, heat no service, move them into the gestation barn so I can start my next group and make sure all the vaccinations are done on those animals in that time frame. You brought up a really key point. You talked about farm staff and, and I think labor today, it's not a surprise discussion or an issue. So as we deal with labor shortages or just the challenges of, of training new hires as they come into a, into a farm, what are some items that you would identify as the, the must do's, the, the items that must get done in guilt development? Well, because the gilts are so important to the life of our sow farm, you know, we feel like those animals need to be uh, really looked at on a daily basis and treated on a daily basis, you know, for lameness or for other health issues. Uh, but so those animals need to be uh, walked through uh, more often, I believe, than uh, maybe a grow finished pig would be, but just looked at real closely and examined every day for treatment and therapy. And you're right. I mean, you know, that training, it seems like on some farms, it never ends, right? You get somebody uh, that does a pretty good job and then then, then, they, then they end up leaving. So then you have to start the training process over again. But I would say that uh, just making sure the gilts are treated as they need to be. They're on the right rations. They receive their vaccinations. If they have certain medications at certain times, those are all done at the appropriate times to make the best guilt possible for the South Farm to enter. Perfect. One of the other things that we've talked about a couple of times is, is certainly this taking a naive animal, bringing her into a farm, acclimating her and exposing her to disease. Um, and of course the risk of her potentially bringing in something such as flu or, or so forth. So there's always this give and take that's happening on the sow farm with the introduction of gilts. What do you see in terms of sow mortality and how that relates to, to bringing in gilts and gilt development? You know, I don't know that I've made a good correlation on that, Laura. I mean, there's no doubt that if we look back at our little database, sow mortality has risen from a normal of say 7% into the nines and tens. You know, we used to get awfully excited about sow mortality when it got close to 10. And now, you know, we still get excited about it. But despite uh, our best efforts, it seems like we have a hard time uh, lowering that parameter. But uh, you can't help but uh, think common sense wise that, you know, providing gilts with more square footage, providing them, you know, a, a, a really good environment to grow and develop we would think that would reduce our sound mortality. It would help at least get that get off to the proper start so she has a better chance of uh, being a lifelong sow on the farm. 
So what do you see then being the challenge with sow mortality? If we were to say, we need to work on something in the guilt developer that can help the longevity, what do you think that would be? Uh, boy, you know, when you look at mortality on sow farms, sow mortality on farms, just about 50% of it is unknown. So we've got to, we don't, and in, in, in what is written down on sow farms for mortality, we really don't know because it's a barn staff member diagnosing a cause of death. And, uh, and that takes some training. And even with training, there's times where we've necropsied sows and we're not really sure why she died on a sow farm. Okay, so it's a really a step into the unknown. And I guess it's probably not surprising. We don't have any really good uh, ways to lower that or successful ways. There's not a recipe, right, to lower sow mortality. Uh, mm -hmm. Most of the time, I think what we end up doing is we buy more gilts. We run more gilts for acclimation system because we got to replace more sows. And that's a wheel that's a little bit hard to get off of. I'm not answering your question very well, Laura. <laughs> well, no, but I'm always curious to know if you have any insights because yeah. I think, right, over time we'll find we'll find the answer. It's just you know, and there's, there's times where uh, farms will have uh, an acute rise in sow mortality, and there's no doubt that we've we've been able to diagnose causes for that and then implement therapies that'll reduce that. It's the ongoing, the daily one sow, two sows a day. Uh, one, you know, usually it's around the time of farrowing. Obviously, sometimes it's two or three weeks post farrowing. You know, sows that, uh, despite being treated, uh, still end up being mortality, and it's a, it's, it's tough for our business, really tough for everybody's business. But we need some do do more work in that area. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you hit the nail on the head. It's the time in which she is is leaving the herd is is so interesting. And so what are we not doing correctly to help her through that stressful event of farrowing and lactation? So uh, we'll continue to, to try to see if we can find some answers over the next few years. You know, it's really interesting to me, Laura, on what we expect the sow to do now. You know, we expect a sow to wean 12, 12 pigs that weigh 14, 15, 16 pounds. A lot of them will do it. They're putting a lot of pressure on them. They're, the sows are putting a lot of pressure on themselves, and we're facilitating that pressure because that's what makes the sow farm successful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. It's a very good point. I'm going to switch gears just a little bit on you, Keith. We've We've talked about disease and management. We've talked about vaccine strategies. And one of the diseases I want to bring up a little bit more today on the sow farm is PCV2. Um, to be honest, over the years, I've, I've had various um, conversations with people of, well, we know when we've maybe not uh, vaccinated a herd because we'll see pops up pop-ups of PCV2 issues. But can you tell us maybe why that's so important that we still continue to talk about PCV2? Oh, I, you know, I've got a lot of observations on PCV2, Laura. Uh, but, you know, I, I think that is a, a more complicated disease than maybe what we realize, especially in sows. We haven't done a lot of, in my opinion, and maybe I need to read more journals, but we haven't done a lot of research regarding the infection of the sow and and the infection of a gild and, and the viremia and gilts as they grow and viremia post weaning on replacement gilts and what that what happens with those when they enter the sow herd. 
you know, um, we really look at PCV2 virus on the farms we manage and work with as just a virus we always have to monitor for. Uh, we like our sows to not leak virus into pigs. We think that's important. Uh, and it's a little bit like our guild acclimation flow in regards to, you know, we pile disease on animals. You know, most pigs in Iowa sometimes go through purge virus. Most of them see the influenza virus, right? They all have strep and parasitosis. And we think if we can reduce the pressure that PCBT, PCB2 would put on them, we can lessen the effects of those other diseases. So that's one of our strategies that we like to monitor. So we monitor our sows, uh, colostrum and processing fluids for PCB2. And we're pretty active in, in vaccinating sows from time to time on sow farms to make sure that we've got good stability and that we're weaning a pig that's not going to become viremic to PCV2 virus later on in life. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned PCV2 monitoring and, and colostrum and processing samples. Are you looking for antibody? Are you looking for actual virus concentrations? What are you exactly looking for? You know, we're looking for virus. If we can find virus, we don't think we should find virus really at about any time in a pig's life, but certainly uh, in the processing fluids. And then if we find it in processing fluids, we'll check colostrum. We don't like to find virus in there. And we've seen sow farms that have become unstable, what we would call unstable to PCV2 virus. And using some sourd vaccination, we can stabilize them and not have not find virus in those samples. Very good. So we're looking for no virus in processing fluids or colostrum. And if we do, then then that's when you would consider a step-in approach of potentially doing another PCV2 vaccination for the herd. Is that what I'm hearing? That's correct. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, and before we would do that, there are many times where we, we will test serum in suckling pigs and evaluate their maternal antibodies levels to both PCV2 virus and mycoplasma. It was certainly PCV2 virus to make sure that we still have a vaccinatable pig with the, and, and, and by using some vaccine in the sows. Okay, perfect. Well, Keith, I see our time is, is wrapping up. So I, I know we could talk PCV2 for a lot longer, but if you could just share with our group a little bit about just some key points that you'd like for them to remember today, that would be wonderful. I think one of the things is when you look at your gill acclimation area, make sure we're feeding those animals the proper ration as they grow. I mean, we, we find that on farms. On farms, we manage, unfortunately, so we have to keep monitoring that because that can kind of slip between the cracks on how feed systems are designed in buildings. Uh, I certainly would recommend isolating gilts that are purchased for your flow, for your sow farm. Make sure they don't carry disease and cause more problems. Nobody wants that. Uh, but we just still, in our industry, we see certainly see more isolation barns today than what we have in the past. But we just need to keep pressure on that area of our pig farm health management, I believe. So those are two things I think are pretty important. Those are great tips for our audience. It is time to our famous three.
an animal nutrition technology company offering innovative products and new applications for the swine industry. The combination of AB Vista enzymes, technical services, and nutrition expertise provides the industry with new opportunities to further improve production efficiencies. Fiber is receiving renewed interest due to its influence on the microbiome, and AB Vista has brought together research experts to discuss the industry's knowledge of fiber functionality and to introduce a stimbiotic targeted to improve fiber digestion. To request access, contact NAM at abvista.com. That's N-A-M at abvista.com. A worldwide leader in animal nutrition. Our company offers specialized technical support for nutritionists, veterinarians, and other animal production professionals. Our portfolio of programs and services include a wide array of high-performing feed solutions, such as essential nutrients, palatability, feed preservation, mycotoxin management, and health by nutrition. To learn more about our company, visit us at www.adiseo.com. For knowledge and news from the global swine industry, access our partner, thepigsite.com. Well, as we wrap up, we'd like to ask just a couple of quick questions. The first question, Keith, is do you have a favorite swine resource that you go to? Oh, diseases of swine. Yeah. Obviously. <laughs> of course, now, you know, I'm, I am young enough to figure out the internet so I can get on and Google certain diseases and see what's out there. But diseases of swine is no doubt the go-to book yet for me. Yeah. I, I don't think I've met a vet yet who hasn't told me that was okay. their, their book. <laughs> um, how about a non-swine book? Is there anything that you would recommend to the audience that, that you either would that you enjoy reading or that you might find useful for business development? Uh, for business development, actually the book I've been reading is the Bible, which uh, has been really pretty fascinating to be honest with you. I've never taken the time to do that. And uh, it's been very interesting uh, for me to be able to do that. So that's a book that I've enjoyed. It's not easy necessarily reading the Bible, but that's been a good one. Uh, I really can't come up with a book, another book. You know, I've read a lot of management books. You know, I spent time at the EVP. We did the Covey, the Covey Seven Habits. That was tremendously beneficial for me, tremendously uh, uh, guiding me in my career and my professional time, and how I spent my professional time and what valuing the things that I knew that were, would be important for me in my personal life and professional life. Perfect. Well, Keith, our last question for you today is if you could think about somebody who you identify as successful in our industry, is there a key trait that you think stands out that has helped them become successful? You know, when I was a young practitioner, there was two guys that I listened to. One, I went to a talk that Al Lehman gave. He used to travel the country and give talks. And I just can remember a lot of uh, his magnetism, his excitement for the pork industry really helped draw me into the pork industry. Then probably the other one is Tim Lola. You know, that Tim has always been really good at sharing information, uh, sharing information with other practitioners, whether it be production information or disease information. And I always really admired that quality about that ability to do that uh, in our industry. Mm -hmm. Those are very wonderful traits to have. I agree. Yeah. 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 
Well, Keith, I want to thank you for your time today. Again, this is Dr. Keith Aljets from Williamsburg Veterinary Medical Clinic, and this podcast was hosted today by Merck Animal Health. Keith, I wish you all the best. Thank you, Laura. It's been enjoyable. Imagine if with a few key concepts, you could have the potential to create a massive positive impact for swine producers. Join this small group and go to the next level of nutrition on this online training in applied swine nutrition and feeding by Dr. Marcio Gonsalves and his world-class invited swine nutritionists. Additionally, you will enjoy an exclusive community to network and exchange ideas. Go now to EliteSwineNutritionist.com.